0: And the question Paul is trying to answer is, is it okay then to keep on sinning? I quite enjoy it now that Christ has died for us and has made amends for us, with us by his grace. Can't we just carry on? And in every instance, Paul responds, by no means, absolutely not. We are to count ourselves dead to sin. Why? What's the bother? Well, there are consequences, Uh, Later on in chapter 6, Paul will describe the wages of sin as is death. The wages of sin is death, which means that the wages of sin are lifelessness. The wages of sin is lifelessness. Chiefly, it results in broken relationships, a broken relationship with God, a broken relationship with those around us, and a broken relationship with the created world a lifelessness, let's remind ourselves that sin is not a bed of roses. Adultery is infidelity, broken promises, distrust, betrayal, a corrupted personal legacy. It's no good. Covetousness is not a good trait in anybody. It doesn't lead to peace, to contentment, to fulfillment. It leads to frustration cynicism depression it's no good do not let sin reign in your mortal body Paul writes in verse 12 do not let sin control how you live and the sense in this passage as I've already mentioned is that is that sin is something that we desire to revisit our flesh wants to revisit these things it implies that sin is attractive and obviously plenty of sins are Otherwise, we wouldn't become enslaved to them. We can easily become enslaved to things that we instinctively know are not good for us. Plenty of sins are like this, but plenty of mine aren't. And I'm still enslaved to them. You are slaves to the one you obey, Paul writes in verse 16. Certain buttons pressed, usually between 6 and 8 p.m. of an evening, with my young children will stir up a very unrighteous anger. If I obey my desire to express rage and frustration, I become a slave to rage and frustration. It's not rocket science. If I obey my desire to eat or drink more than I should, as I have in the past, I become a slave to my appetites. That's obvious. If I obey my desire to browse for shoes on the internet. I'd have much nicer shoes. (laughs) But you can see how this pattern works out. We become enslaved by it. It becomes a pattern of repetitive behavior and it has a hold on us. We start caring and investing more of our time in these things, which corrupt us, you get the point. So the nature of sin is such that whenever we surrender to it, it enslaves us, it takes more and more ownership of us. And this is what's going on whenever we know the good we should do and we don't do it or know the bad that we shouldn't do and we do that. And by God's Holy Spirit, we do know these things. God helps us discern these things. Louis Giglio, uh, evangelist, Christian writer, he says, sin doesn't make us bad, sin makes us dead. The gospel doesn't make us better the gospel makes us alive so what is the gospel here in this passage well of course as ever with paul the gospel is who jesus is and what jesus has done paul gets the nature of sin the fix he says is to know jesus and what he has accomplished this is our vision and hope in jesus in this uh, in this chapter i'll read from verses 3 to 4 our vision and hope In Jesus, he writes, All of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, in the same way as Jesus is risen to new life. Verse 11 Here in our text, Paul writes, uh, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God. Is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than being alive to God? No, truly Eugene Peterson puts it like this in his message version of this passage. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue. Life in Christ is what we were made for. On the basis of the Gospels, of the historic fact of Jesus' death and resurrection, and of Paul's testimony earlier in Romans, this is the position that God has put you in. Forgiven, cleared, justified, sanctified, reconciled sons and daughters of the living God, heirs with Christ. At the heart of this chapter is a very simple message. Enter in. Enter in. Enter into this life. God counts you dead to sin. That is how you stand before him count yourself dead to sin. Verse 17, he writes, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. You have been set free. Our hearts get changed as we encounter Christ so that we obey from the inside, not the outside. We are set free from sin's control. Finally, how do we enter into this new life, into new realities, into these new realities? Well, Simon Ponsonby, author of the book that's feeding our our Romans preaching series, God is for Us is the book. It's available at the back of the church. Um, He uses the analogy of a traffic light, which is the title of this talk, red, amber, green. Red means stop. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Get a grip, we might say, get a grip. Take responsibility. Don't take your body to places where it'll be subject to temptation. Don't take your eyes to certain channels on the TV or your feet to the bar for a fourth or fifth round. You get the idea. Stop. Stop it. Amber. Think verse 11. Count yourselves uh, or consider yourselves dead to sin. Think about it consider yourself dead to sin and reflect on it think about it think about what it means to belong to Christ about what he has done, he's done for you and what he has won for you the status that he has truly put you in think about it and think about where sin starts it so often starts in our heads and in our minds we let it get a hold of us we give the devil a foothold and what paul is doing in this passage is giving us a handhold Giving us something to hold on to, to consider, to think about, to reset our minds and retrain them to think dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. Consider that. Amber. Green is go. Go. Present yourselves to God. Present yourselves to God. Don't practice the presence of anger or lust. Practice the presence of God. Come to him. Come to him. Present yourselves before him. I, before we conclude, I, I'd permit me uh, to make two analogies on this from my own experience. Many of you will know I have type 1 diabetes and celiac disease. And perhaps we struggle to embrace Christ's death on our behalf, his suffering for us in our place. Think of it like this, or I like to think of it like this. Imagine your beloved child or someone close to you doing that for you, dying for you. And imagine then that this sacrifice of theirs cured my diabetes. And then I say, I don't want the cure. I don't want to give up the sickness, my sin. Then their sacrifice is in vain. Not only that, of course, but our saviour is alive. My saviour is living while I am dead in my sickness, in my sin. That's what God has done for us. He's given us life. Enter in. Say thank you. And of course, Jesus did this for us. He took our sin. He died for us while we were still so far away from him, while we were still sinners, while we didn't care. With no guarantee of a response from us, Jesus Christ died for us. The cross seals this position, seals our position before God. Our sins are forgiven. And just remember how often in the gospels, Jesus says to people, your sins are forgiven. That's how they stand before God. Enter in to the reality of that. Repent and believe, as the old saying goes. Celiac disease. Let's imagine that wheat is a sin, is sin. Uh, When I was diagnosed with celiac disease, I was given 48 hours to adjust to a gluten-free diet. Change or die. And you know, I shed tears every day for six months on account of what I had to give up. I mourned chocolate cake and warm bread Sorry, Valerie. And pasta, and croissants, and Weetabix, and biscuits, and pies, and beer, and fish and chips, and every single thing. And I properly grieved for it. I lost a lot in that diagnosis. But it was surrender or die. Give up these things, and you will live. I will live, I'm alive. Don't give them up, and you will die. I will die in 10 years or something, but I will die. It's a simple choice. I live, and you know what, I want to live. And what's more, having denied myself these things now for seven years, I honestly don't desire them anymore. People are constantly apologizing for the plate of brownies they've put out. I just don't desire it anymore. I don't want it anymore. Their hold on me has been radically broken. Just by denying them access to my body and my mind. And we are called to surrender to God, to the Lordship of Christ in that way. To trust him completely and to receive the life he wants to give us. And he has to give us wholeheartedly. Enter in. It might be painful at first. But there will come a time sooner or later, perhaps even today, when that decision to turn from sin turns to loss of desire to sin. But this only ever happens as we expose ourselves more fully and more continually to God's great mercy and his love as we obey him, in other words. Remembering, of course, that the command to obey is a command to be loved. Count yourselves alive to God and alive to love. Amen.